0: is on a treadmill when suddenly that patient had a heart attack and collapsed and the doctor began administering CPR to him and he would come to screaming, I'm in hell, save me. Well, the doctor kept administering CPR and the man recovered and survived. And that experience for that doctor led him to receive Jesus Christ as his savior I have an old book on my bookshelves. It's falling apart, and it is the stories of the last words of dying people. It's really a fascinating book. For, for the most part, people share their peaceful, even joyful, Last words, as they seem ready to meet God. But there are some in there, some famous people, actually, like Voltaire was one I remember in particular, the French atheist and philosopher who had a very different experience of dying. Last words. Some of them very fearful of hell. Well, I was saved at age 19 and I went to work the next day. And I looked very different because all my long hair had been cut off short. And I sounded really different. I was telling everybody who I worked with about Jesus and my newfound faith and asking them if they were saved. And two employees seemed particularly happy about my decision to receive Christ. They congratulated me, but I I asked them, how is it that you never shared Jesus with me? I could have died and gone to hell. Now, I don't know the reason for their silence. Maybe they were just indifferent about the state of my soul. Maybe they really didn't care about me or love me. Maybe they were afraid I would laugh at them if they tried to share Christ with me. Did they even believe in hell? My soul was hanging in the balance. They probably didn't know that. But I had driven drunk or high many times. I could have killed somebody or been killed. Yet they never once Witness to me of their hope that they had in Jesus Christ, their Savior. And they were mature Christian men. And, and as I thought back on that story and reflected on it, now as a mature Christian man, there have been many times I haven't shared my faith either with someone. And I had good opportunity. The, the door was, the Lord was opening the door. Unlike when I was a brand new Christian and I was just telling everybody. Recently, Kathy and I were in Canton and we met with. Maybe our first pastor, Chuck Schumacher. And he was telling a story, recounting of a, a street witnessing ministry that I and a couple other guys started at our church. We were really young Christians. We'd go out there on the streets and share our faith with people who really needed to hear the gospel, really needed that hope. And one of those persons that we had the privilege of leading to the Lord was a prostitute. And so I called Chuck that night and said, hey, we let a prostitute to the Lord tonight. And he said, well, what, where is she? What would you guys do? We said, well, we took her back to the hotel. He said, don't do that. She doesn't need to be there. Go get her and bring her over to my house. And he was a newlywed living in a small apartment. And he told us, I didn't know this part of the story, that this girl lived with them for six months. In their little tiny one-bedroom apartment, he said some nights my wife would be ministering to her late into the night, and I'd go out and sleep on the couch. Jesus talked about hell a lot, more than anyone else in the Bible. He came so no one would have to go there. Let me share some facts about humans. We are made to have a relationship with God. It says in Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. We're imagers of God. We bear his image. We're not like the animals. We're like God because we're made in his image. We have a spirit that will live forever somewhere. We can communicate with God now once we're saved. God has made us moral beings that we can know the difference between right and wrong. We aren't God, but we're like him. And we can be godly. One day, and this is the truth, you and I will stop breathing, but we won't stop living. We are going to live somewhere. Our spirit, which is eternal, will live in either heaven or hell forever. So the here and now isn't all there is, though. It seems like it. It's really just a fraction of the time. But we make the here and now all important and oftentimes ignore eternity. We, we plan very well for our retirements, which last, what, 20, 30 years? And some give no thought at all to the eternal state of their soul. It's crazy when you think about it. The Bible says sin has disrupted our relationship with God. We live for self, not God. We do our own thing. We go our own way. We live for our pleasures, not our purpose, it says in Isaiah 59 nine two, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And God knew all this was going to happen. The Bible says from the foundation of the world, God had a plan to redeem us. That's really good news. He sent his son to die for our sins. Mark ten forty five says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, God's son, came to save sinners, which I am chief, Paul says. So Jesus's mission is our mission as well. It's a big part of our purpose for being alive. We don't save people, but we tell them about the one who does. In John 17, 18, it says, as you sent me into the world, Jesus's prayer. So I have sent them into the world as God sent Jesus into the world. To share the good news that men might be saved. So Jesus sends us into the world with the same mission, the same work. Like Tom Crawford loves to say, my purpose and mission is to get to heaven and take as many people with me as possible. There's a story of when Jesus ascended to heaven, the angels came and welcomed him home. And they asked Jesus, who's going to continue your work on earth? And he said, well, I've left that work to 11 men. And they asked, 11 kings? No. 11 rich men? No. Just 11 ordinary men. What if they fail? I have no other plan. Folks, do you realize we're it? That God has given us the same mission as Jesus, to tell people about his son. Let me give you nine reasons why we need to do that. We must do that. We should do that. We want to do it. Nine reasons for fulfilling our mission. The first is it's a command. It's a command. If you want children to remember something, what do you do? You repeat it a bunch of times. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Four times at the end of his Gospels and once at the beginning of the book of Acts, he said something five times so we would remember it. It's called the Great Commission. And here's one of those accounts, the end of Matthew's Gospel. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus was given authority and now he's given us that authority to reclaim the nations. Jesus says to us, do this because it's very important to me. But the truth be told, for many Christians, it's rather the great omission. We've never shared our faith with anyone. Either we're going to obey Jesus as command or we're not. I admire those who served during the golden era mission, says one. Forsaking all, sojourning to far off continents, braving insect infested jungles, risking life and limb to spread the word of God. Maybe we could go witness to the new neighbor down the street. I don't know. Looks like rain. Second reason, it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. As a new Christian, I was reading through God's word, reading through the whole Bible. And I felt like, and this was a new experience for me, not having the spirit of God in me before, but I was prompted to look up a scripture. I felt like a scripture was just in my mind and that I should look it up. And it was Ezekiel chapter three. I had never read the book of Ezekiel before or this passage, but I was reading through some verses in Ezekiel three just came alive to me. And I knew this is what the Lord was prompting me to read. Uh, Those verses are up on the screen. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked From his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. That was a serious word from God to me. If I don't warn the unbeliever, then I'm responsible, me. I can't ignore them. I can't shove them off on somebody else. They're not somebody else's problem or responsibility. They're mine. I must share. I'm convinced the main reason God doesn't take us to heaven right after we get saved, wouldn't that be grand, is to witness to others. Because we could fellowship in heaven. We could fellowship here. We can read the word here. We can pray here. We can pray there. But witnessing to unbelievers, we can't do that in heaven, but we could do that here. That's why he leaves us thirdly it's a privilege it's a privilege paul says in 2 corinthians 5:20 therefore we are ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god Imagine being an ambassador to another country. What a high honor that you represent the United States of America in that country. But that doesn't compare to be an ambassador for Christ. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. So we're on earth for a purpose to fulfill our mission here. That is to share the love of God through Christ in word and deed. We represent Christ and his kingdom here and now. Here's a fourth reason. I share out of gratitude. I share this good news out of gratitude because God has done so much for me. Listen to what he's done in Ephesians 2. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ. Yeah. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. That's true. Having no hope and without God in the world. That was me before I was saved. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I had no hope. I was destined for hell. Then I heard such good news and you did too. And you responded. Think of it. If you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you share that far and wide? We have a better message. Eternal life. And because God loves everyone, I must, too. So I share out of gratitude as a thank you to God for all you've done for me. Here's a fifth reason. I know people need Jesus. I know people need Christ. They're hopelessly lost, as that passage we just read says. It says in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ is the only way to the Father. Not religion, but a relationship. Christ is exclusive. We see that here. Just as there's only one sequence of numbers that I can put on my phone and dial it to reach home, to reach my wife, there's only one sequence of letters that can reach God, and that's Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Only he connects you to God. That's the truth. We don't have to apologize about that. Even if someone says, well, you're narrow minded. You think he's the only way he is the only way. Number six. God wants everyone to be saved. Second Peter three, nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that includes people you don't like. Maybe the Muslims, the LGBTQ community, name the group, name the person God loves them supremely and so must we. We don't have to try to convince them, win the arguments, to pull them over to our side. Just love them by serving them and share your story. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them and to reveal Christ to them, and he will. A seventh reason is I will be rewarded. First Thessalonians two, nineteen and twenty. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Will there be people in heaven because of you? Will anyone come up to you in heaven someday and say, thank you for sharing the good news of the gospel with me? Or will no one come up? To you in heaven. Are you interested in the soul winner's crown? An eighth reason. The end depends on evangelism. The end depends on evangelism. Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him when would be the end of the world. And he discusses that in Matthew chapter 24. Interesting chapter. And I believe we're close to that day. Matthew twenty four fourteen says "And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Has that ever happened before? Well, not before now, but it's happening now. We're closer to the end than they were, certainly in the first century and with technology that's made that all the more possible to bring the good news to everyone. Of course, there's still more work to do. But we're closer to the end than we were. Number nine. Ninth reason. It gives you joy to share. It's fun. I feel good when I have an opportunity to really share the word of God with somebody. I know I'm fulfilling my purpose. Not only does it give you joy to share your faith. It gives God joy, too. In Luke 15:7, just So I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over ninety nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay, so the Great Commission is our obligation, our responsibility. We're commanded and several other reasons why I must do it. So let's talk about how we do it. All right. The best way to do it, I think, is to share your Testimony. Your personal story is powerful, and advertisers know this, and they use it all the time. Product X worked for me, and it'll work for you. I used to have ringer on the collar, but then I used whisk, and now no more dirty ring. Use our product, and you'll be skinnier, have a thicker head of hair, and pick up girls. And the Bible is full of examples of this kind of thing. The Samaritan woman in John chapter four, Jesus shares with her. What does she do? She runs to back to town and tells them about a man I just met who told me everything about my life. And it says that the whole town went out to meet Jesus. She just told her story. In John chapter nine, Jesus heals a blind man. And he's interrogated by the religious leaders because this happened on a Sunday and they were violating the law. But he just tells them, Before I was blind, but now I can see. To share your story, you don't have to know everything in the Bible. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Just tell them Jesus Christ changed my life. You don't have to be an expert witness in court. Just tell them what you've seen and heard. Your story is unique. No one else's story is exactly like it. and it's personal. You can remember it easily, and others will understand it easily. You're the authority on it, right? It's your story, so it's hard for them to argue against you. I mean, this happened for me. Hard to argue against that. Others can relate. People like stories. They remember stories, and it's effective in our post-modern culture, which is very experience-oriented. Now, people might reject your Bible quotes, that they tune out preachers, but they're interested in you and your story. You'll be more effective in sharing your story with your friends than I would be if you got me. Hey, come and talk to my buddy over here. They're thinking, well, he's paid to do this. Your story is more authentic. You're the satisfied customer. You have credibility in telling your story to your friend. Paul told his story in the book of Acts three times in chapters 9, 22 and 26. I would encourage you sometime to sit down and read those stories. One of those chapters or all three of them and see how Paul shared his story. So using Paul as an example, I found that there's four components to telling your story. That's what Paul did. The first is, what was your life like B.C.? Right before Christ. What was your life like before Christ? Paul tells him about that. What were your substitutes for God? In other words, was it to live a happy life, all American existence to be popular? Maybe you were the drugs and alcohol route or the sex before marriage or, or maybe you live for money or power Or or religion maybe was your thing. You tried to be super religious. So the first thing you do, you tell them about your old ways of life before Christ. Second thing is, how did you realize you needed Christ? Tell them that. Here's how I realized I needed Christ in my life. What steps led you to your decision to receive Christ? Was it a crisis of some kind, a wake-up call? Was it grief? You know, you lost Someone and and you were hurting so bad. Was it a divorce or breakup? Were you lonely? Were you just empty inside? You were dissatisfied with your life and you thought to yourself, there's got to be more than this. Third thing to do when you're telling your story to someone, tell them, how did you commit your life to Christ? Did it happen at church? You know, you responded to an altar call or something. You got saved in church or it was a friend sharing with you and the two of you prayed together. Was it a camp? Was it a VBS? Were you in your bedroom alone and you prayed? What did you pray? You don't wake up one morning and realize, oh, I'm a Christian now. Or I've been a Christian since birth. There is a moment of awareness or decision where you cross the line. For a woman, there's a moment when she conceives and she's pregnant. She wasn't pregnant before that moment. Now she is. You can't be kind of pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. You can't be kind of a Christian. Either you are or you're not. So what led you to a point of commitment where you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? fourth thing you share when you're telling your testimony is what difference has Christ made in your life? What difference has Christ made in your life? What what's the benefits to being a Christian? How did he change your life in a positive manner? How is it deeper? How is it more joyful? How is it more hopeful? More purposeful now? How has he changed your character? Made you a better person? There should be fruit or evidence in our lives that God has changed us. A caveat here, when, when talking about your past, so I guess we're back to point one. Don't brag about your past sins as if it's something to be proud about. It's not proud, something to be proud about at all. Don't boast about all the drugs you took because that person might not be able to relate to you. Maybe they would think I took four Advil ones. Don't put down other religions, other denominations, and certainly don't put down that person as being ignorant. They're going to close you off really quickly. Just share your story, what God has done for you. And there will be a point in time where you want to share his story. And there's lots of good tools out there for doing that. Uh, I've used the Roman road, five verses in the book of uh, Romans that share a progression of how to know Christ as Savior. Uh, I've used uh, the four spiritual laws before. Uh, I've used Ray Comfort stuff, Ray Comfort of Living Waters, has some really good material on uh, witnessing how to share your faith. You want to do that. You want to share your story and you want to be able to weave his story into your story. And you may come to a point with that individual that they they seem ready to receive Christ. I'm going to talk about that more next week. Ask them to pray with you, right? Would you like to receive Christ? And then pray with them and certainly stay in touch. Disciple them. Help them to grow in their faith. Don't just abandon them to the winds. Invite them to church with you. Now, I would venture a guess that most of us here this morning would say, Pastor, I really could improve in this. I can I want to confess that I haven't always been apt to share when I've had an opportunity. I want to do better at that. And I trust you do, too. Next week, we'll we'll talk some more about how we do that. But let's pray. Lord, I do pray for those of us that know you and we have this good news that we just don't just sit on it, that we share it with others. Help us, give us those opportunities. Convince us that it's something we need to do. And Lord, I want to pray for the person here this morning at the sound of my voice that may not have that personal relationship with you, but you've been convicting them, you've been showing them their sin. They just need to make that final step of committing their life, of surrendering their will to you. And so if your heads are bowed this morning, uh, if there's anyone here that would like to make a commitment to Christ as your personal Savior, just raise your hand up so I can pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want to give you that opportunity in case there is someone here ready to make a commitment to Christ. Okay, Lord, I pray then for us. That we will go into all the world, to our world and your world, sharing this good news. Empower us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.